0: Hey everybody, this is Corey Russell and I'm so glad that you're tuning in for this latest podcast. In this last week's message, I preached on part two of Awakening the Groan for Israel. I walked through Romans 9 through 11 and locked in on Romans eleven twenty-five 25 and the mystery of Israel and the church. And then I took us to Isaiah 62 and talked about how God is setting watchmen all over the earth who will not rest until Jerusalem is in the earth. I believe God is awakening his body, his church across the earth, and turning our hearts towards Israel. This thing's going to mark you, it's going to set you on fire, and it's going to awaken the spirit of intercession in you. I hope it uh, encourages and blesses you. Amen. Amen. All right, grab a seat. Stop. I love you guys. Love you, Dana. (laughs) She's over here just getting wrecked. It's part of it, you know, even with, I shared it last week. I'm going to be sharing part two of Awakening the Groan for Israel today. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Let it begin, Lord. and, and you know, I keep going back to it because it's touching us personally we I'm going to keep saying, it, and I, I feel like we're going to keep hammering it on two twenty one on that Sunday morning in this room, we went into four hour service, and our our family personally hasn't been the same since, and we crossed over into a new season. I, I mean it, you know it's always it's always great to hear we're going to get there. well, we're getting in there, it's happening. It's really happening, and so I'm just so blown away with all that God's doing. It's been a a decade of seeking the Lord. And I feel like uh, we're we're moving into such an amazing season. I love you guys. Um, Yeah, I am just so stirred as last week, if you weren't able to hear last week's message, I want to highly encourage you to do that. It laid a lot of, last week was just mostly get everybody into the maternity ward of awakening the groan. This week, we'll see if he awakens the groan. And uh, I laid a lot of foundation last week that I think is really important. Again, going back to that weekend, we had the Holy Spirit highlight three mandates. The mandate is always Jesus. It's Jesus, but as you go on the pursuit of him, he starts opening up his heart. Okay, he's not just some ethereal Jesus out there. He's a real man with real burdens, really connected to real realities on the earth. And the Holy Spirit is bringing up a room, bringing us into three, and I imagine there'll be more, but there, man, these are three, these are oceans, three specific mandates that we are to carry and to really own before the Lord over the next 10, 20, 30 years leading up to the coming of the Lord. And that being women and seeing the voice of women release, leadership of women, and calling women to the forefront. Because I believe. We need our breakthrough. Our breakthrough is found in our, in our daughters, our wives, our mothers, intercession, and labor and proclamation to birth us into the next season. Number two, the nations of the earth. I, I believe the Lord has been intricately connecting us with missions, organizations, and this thing's gonna be playing out. I believe that we're going to see praying churches like Upper Room, morning, noon, and night. That I say it every week. That is going to go global and that's going to go viral all over the earth. And I believe this is the Jesus is building his church that the gates of hell can't prevail against. And the third one is Israel. And last week I walked through beginning in Genesis and I walked through the lens of the covenants. The covenants made with Abraham the covenant made with David, and then we saw the new covenant, which was secured in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus secured those covenants, those promises made to Abraham that he's gonna give him a land in Genesis 12. He's gonna make him a great nation, a righteous nation. And that in Abraham and the descendants that come out of him, all the nations of the earth are gonna be blessed. And, and, and the Lord solidified that in David as we got more clarity that there was coming a seed, a king through the lineage of David that's going to rule forever on this earth, forever as the son of David. He is the son of David forever. He's the son of God and he's the son of David. And we also looked at in him, all the nations of the earth are gonna be blessed. We looked at the Abrahamic covenant On how Abraham was asleep when the father and the son walked in between the broken animals and the father made covenant with the son that every promise made to Abraham, he is going to fulfill. That come no devil, principality, coalition of nations, nothing is going to overthrow the eternal, unconditional promise that Yahweh made to Abraham. This is what this whole thing is about. When we talk about Israel, when we talk about, this is about the knowledge of God, that God doesn't lie, that God doesn't make empty promises, that God fulfills his word. God's word is at stake with Israel. God's word is at stake. We looked at the covenant in Genesis 15. We looked at 2 Samuel 7 and the covenant made with David. David says, God, I want to build you a house And God says, I don't know where you got this, but I want you to know, you want to build me a house? I'm going to build you a house and your house and your throne will live forever. We saw the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel prophesy of a new covenant that was going to come to the house of Israel and that God was going to put his law in their minds and in their hearts. That there's coming a day that he's going to sprinkle them and put his spirit within them. And that they're going to inherit the land. They're going to inherit the promises made to Abraham. We then moved into the securing of the new covenant. Jesus, when he took up that body and he took up that blood and he goes, this is the blood of the new covenant. This is the blood of the new covenant. And through Jesus's death, Through all of the afflictions, the infirmities, the chastisement, through his death and resurrection, he secured it. We'll look at that next week. We got to Romans and we began to talk about Paul and the book of Acts is pretty much God. Once Jesus came, died, resurrected, the Holy Spirit poured out on the day of Pentecost. And from that day the gospel has gone forth to every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. What began in that upper room in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago has gone out throughout the whole earth. I like to say what began with a local, local outpouring that's had global implications, in these last days, God's raising up a global upper room with local impact on the city of Jerusalem. I love it. As we come on Palm Sunday and we recognize the waving of the palm branches. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is really one of those Hebrew phrases we really need to learn. And I've been reciting it all morning. And I'm gonna chop it up some, but this is the best Arkansas Hebrew I can give you. (laughs) (laughs) Baruch Haba Beshem Adonai. Baruch Haba Beshem Adonai Baruch Haba Beshem Adonai One more time. Baruch Haba Beshem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You need to learn that one. That one needs to be in your prayer language. You slip from praying in the spirit into that one. That's what they quoted. Jesus told them in Matthew 23, he he weeping over Jerusalem. He had come to them. He had given himself to this people and they rejected him and he, he wept over them. And he goes, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How I longed to gather you as a hen does her chicks, but you were unwilling. You didn't want me. And then Jesus says, see your house is left to you desolate. And then Jesus makes an amazing prophecy in Matthew 23, I think 39. He says, you won't see me again until you say, Baruch vashi, uh, hab, What is it? Baruch haba." You won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Which means, do you know, guys, this is absolutely staggering that Jesus would say this because he said, you're not going to see me until the Jewish leadership in the land receives me as their king. Until you, with your own faith and allegiance, until you receive me as your Messiah, you won't see me again. And Jesus boxes himself into this prophecy because he understands that's the work that's going to have to be from them to receive him. And so Satan's agenda over the last 2,000 years has been trying to destroy the people so they can never say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's been Satan's rage. That's been Satan's rage to destroy and to annihilate this people so that Jesus' prophecy cannot be fulfilled because that prophecy being fulfilled means the dragon is thrown into the pit. We're talking about the dragon, Satan, thrown into the pit. He's going to do everything in his power to abort this plan, to remove this plan. And the fact that the Holy Spirit three, uh, a, w- a month ago brought little upper room into this global travail and into this global reality. God, He's he's taking us into the deeper things of his heart. He's given us the holy stuff of his heart. He goes, oh, you you want to be about me? Come into my heart. Because I'm still weeping over Jerusalem. I'm still weeping over Jerusalem and This is so precious, so holy. This is the deep stuff of his heart. Paul really began to bring this to the forefront. Romans 9 through 11 is Paul's great climax of bringing clarity to the great mystery of Israel and the church. And Paul, in Romans 9, I walked through the very end last week and we had to run. We got to pray over our new pastors at Upper Room Denver. So I had to run out of here last week, but... I want, I just want to look at some verses out of Romans nine through 11. And and just so that you can see these with your eyes, can you put Romans nine verse one up here? Holy spirit, give us revelation in the name of Jesus. I want you to whisper that to him. Give me revelation. Romans nine verse one. He says this, he says, I have great sorrow and i have continual grief in my heart here it is i love this cuz paul has just took the last part of romans 8 building the, and what he's doing to the roman church is he's turning their hearts towards israel he's turning their hearts towards israel and in romans 8 he lays forth four groans the groan of creation the groan of the holy spirit we're groaning jesus is groaning everybody's groaning For the sons of God to be manifested and for creation to be liberated. What creation, Holy Spirit, Jesus and us are groaning over is for the full adoption, which is the redemption of our body, the resurrection of the earth, the return of Jesus, salvation of Israel, and the establishing of his kingdom on this earth. That's what you're groaning over. A lot of people, we don't know, there's a deep groan within you. You don't know how to put language. Some people say, well, just get another car or a new house or a new spouse. That's what the groan looks like. I, I'm, I'm, I'm uncomfortable and I don't know how to make sense of my life. Connect with the groan. It's not a, one more thing that you think you need in your life. The groan is you were made for eternity. You were made to be fully absorbed into God. And we are living in two worlds at once. We got eternity screaming out from within us. Abba! Paul said it. Romans 8, he tells him, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Jesus is at the right hand of God making intercession. And then he, he ends with, I have been persuaded that neither death nor life, power, principality. One of the greatest verses ever. Paul says, I've been persuaded. I can't be separated from the love of God. Paul says, I'm indestructible because I'm in the vice grip of heaven. Nothing can separate me. And then I love it because Paul doesn't stop. Chapter breaks many times, reserves certain things, and most of us stop. But Paul rolls right into Romans 9 with, I tell the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. And here's where Paul's going. Those four groans, and now I want to give you my groan. I have great sorrow, and continual grief in my heart. And then Paul makes one of the most outlandish statements in scripture. He says this, I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. This is what the love of God does to you. It doesn't produce narcissism, introspection, a little bit more comfort, and a little bit more stuff to make me happy. The love of God frees you from self-preservation. The love of God liberates you from living for yourself and it connects you to the heart of Jesus. And Paul's going to go, Romans, you want to run with me? Let me give the apostolic burden. I am gripped day and night for the salvation of my people. And if I could, I would go to hell so Israel would get saved. I would be accursed from Christ. I want to tell you by the word of the Lord, that spirit is going to come on the church before the Lord returns. That continual grief, that sorrow of heart, we are going to enter into the heart of Jesus and into the apostolic burden of Paul as we enter into that great reality, because this is what we've been made for. As we turn our hearts to our older brother Israel. As Israel bore the brunt of Satan for 2,000 years to bring forth Yeshua into the earth, and that our salvation has come. So, God's gonna awaken a church in the last days. He's gonna deliver us from replacement theology. That we have become Israel. We get all the promises, they get the curses. It is demonic, it's heretical but that we now get to stand and now in the same way they contended for our breakthrough, we now get to contend for their breakthrough. Jesus. Go ahead and put Romans 10 verse one up. You Holy Spirit, we love you. Give me revelation. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Just, just go back, just look at it, feel it. My heart's desire, my prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Go ahead and put Romans 11, verse one. Paul's now in Romans 11. I wanna tell you, we hear a lot about the gospel. There is, I can't think of a more appropriate chapter for the gospel than Romans 11. And I don't hear much about it. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Okay. I want you to skip down to verse 11. Do 1111. Come on, somebody. Where's my prophetic people at? (laughs) I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? And Paul is now bringing conclusions to what he's been laying out in Romans 9 and 10. And what Paul is going to emphasize, he's going to say there's been a partial stumbling. It is not full and it's not final and it's not complete, but it's been a partial stumbling. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. Now, this is where you and I get into the storyline. But through their fall, through their partial stumbling, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. I'm gonna read a couple more verses. Go ahead and go to the next verse. I'll get your seatbelt on for this one. If their fall is riches for the world, and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? There is a fullness of Israel that is coming. Skip down to Romans eleven fifteen. For if they're being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Next week's gonna be resurrection Sunday. Do you understand? We, we look and we we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus and we revel in all the glory that it means to us right now. But it also points us with great confidence of our own resurrection, but also the earth's resurrection. We are going to see life from the dead for the whole world. Now look with me in 1125, and this is what I started with last week. This is Paul's great summary of all these chapters. I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. I said this last week. Paul talked often. He talked about the mystery of Christ. It had been hidden in the heart of God before the coming of Jesus and his death and his resurrection. It had been hidden in the heart of God. But after Jesus came and died and resurrected, there were realities contained in that mystery that had been kept secret, but that became clear through the apostles and the prophets. And one of those mysteries is the mystery of Israel in the church. There's the mystery of Of Jew and Gentile, and how in all now one new man in Him. There's the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory, the mystery of the resurrection, the mystery of Christ in the church. All those things—it's amazing. Which means they're Pacific Oceans that we're going to be searching out. He goes, "I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant." Everybody say, "Don't be ignorant." Because you know what happens if you get ignorant? You get arrogant. If you get ignorant, you get arrogant. And when you get arrogant, you you begin to passively resist God's purposes. And when you passively resist God's purposes, there will come a time that there will be aggressive resistance of God's purposes. Because the subject of Israel is going to become the litmus test for the church in the last days. This is the hot-button topic, the city of Jerusalem, that is the contention point, and the church that enters into Revelation, into the Bible, and into what Scripture says, is going to be standing on the right side of history, or will we be on the wrong side? This is the litmus test, is understanding this mystery. Do not be ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant, lest you should be wise. In your own opinion. Lest you should think this whole thing is about you. Lest you should think this is about us four and no more. About me getting a little bit more stuff and enjoying Gentile Jesus that makes life nice in America. We don't want to be wise. We don't want to get to strutting. Paul says it earlier, you want to fear. You want to tremble. You want to live with gratitude. You want to say, thank you, God, that you've taken wild olive branches and you've grafted it in to this glorious storyline. And it creates humility and gratitude. And it doesn't produce pride in that we've got it all now. See, God, Jesus is really into humility. There's this thing about him. This is what happens. This is the thing, you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part, everybody say in part, part. has happened to Israel until, everybody say until. until, the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Those are massive statements. And then Paul drops the dirty bomb on the planet, verse 26. And so all Israel will be saved. all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. I just want to tease out a couple of points and I want to read a couple of statements that I've just written out. Israel's This is about Israel's original calling. Do you know nations have callings like individuals? I have a calling. You have a calling. We all have callings, but Israel has a specific calling. America has a calling nations have callings, but the most, the the most talked about calling in scripture is Israel's and their global calling is to disseminate the knowledge of God all across the earth. That is their calling. So when we're talking about Israel, we're talking about a a global national calling on which God's going to disseminate and release. We know from Exodus 19, he called Israel a kingdom of priests. You shall be a priestly nation to all the other nations of the earth. Israel's original calling was to have the primary leadership role in bringing God's salvation to all nations. They will pick this back up again when Jesus returns. The millennium, that thousand-year reign of Jesus, is where he makes Jerusalem his headquarters. And from that fixed locale, Jesus is going to disseminate the revelation of him. All across the earth, as we see every government, every infrastructure, all nations coming underneath the leadership of Yeshua. We're going there over the next 10 or 20 years. Israel rejected Jesus at his first coming, and this calling has been partially suspended for the last 2,000 years. Shifting to the primary leadership role being to the Gentile church in the nations across the earth, bringing the gospel to the nations. This is a partial stumbling, and it is not final. In this time, these 2,000 years, God has grafted us in. We've been brought in through their stumbling and through their failure. We've been reconciled. And you and I, through Jesus' death and resurrection, have been grafted in. And we now get to participate into those covenants and into those realities made known in Yeshua. I wore the shirt in case you didn't know it. So we're now living in something and we're. Living in first fruits of realities to contend. See, I don't want to just keep talking here. All right. God, and this is a big fancy word, has inextricably connected Israel and the church together in Christ. Our destinies come together in Him. This is what I love about Jesus. He's brilliant. Everybody say God is brilliant. This is how Paul ends Romans 11. Oh, the depth! God! Here's how he does it our salvation was dependent on their blindness. Their blindness being lifted is dependent on our fullness. And the earth's full redemption and the birth of the millennium is dependent on Israel's salvation and reception of Jesus as Messiah. We needed them. They need us. And the whole earth needs them to get into their chariot so we can all get in. I'm going to read it again. I love it. Come on. Everybody say inextricable. Inextricable. It's a cold word of we're in this thing together. And God's smart. Our salvation is depend was dependent on their blindness. Their blindness being lifted. That's what Paul says. Oh they are partially blind until their blindness being lifted is dependent on our fullness and the earth's full redemption and the birth of the millennium is dependent on Israel's salvation and reception as Yeshua, as Messiah. We are moving into the hour of fullness. That's why this is important. The fullness of the Gentiles has come in until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. For 2,000 years, nobody even paid attention to any of these chapters. They didn't know what to do with it. 1948, God sovereignly planted them back in the land. Israel is a nation again. 1967, Jerusalem is under Israeli control. This now sets the stage, and now the fog is being lifted off the church. Going, oh my God, you're going to do it! 2,000 years, you're going to do it. This changes everything. This changes Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and the hour that we're living in. 2021, some, what is it? 60, 70 years later. Oh, look at this. Fullness, everybody say Fullness. I see a fivefold fullness that's coming, and there's probably a ton more, but I'm just choosing five because five's a good number. Grace, grace. <laughs> I don't know if we got a slide for it. Number one, there's coming a fullness of number. There's a fullness of number. Revelation 7 talks about a great number. There's coming a fullness of harvest. Number two, there's a fullness of maturity. Paul said in Ephesians 4, fivefold ministry until we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, so that we may grow up. He goes, he talks about the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Maturity, everybody say maturity. Maturity. Say, we're going to grow up. We're We're about to get out of the kiddie pool of Christianity. I picture a bunch of 50-year-old, overweight men in float. He's been sitting in the kiddie pool. I'm swimming. <laughs> and Lord says, come on, buddy. Let's go. I'm going to take you swimming. He's going to grow us up. We're going to grow up into the head. We're going to grow up into the head. humility is coming to the church. We're going to look like our king. We're going to look like the servant. We're going to look like the meek one, the lowly one. We're going to actually learn from him because he's meek and he's lowly. And we're going to get delivered from the trappings of this age and the pride of building more stuff and more stuff. And we're going to get quiet on the inside. We're going to get humble and we're going to get delivered from my optic, narcissistic Christianity and we're going to serve one another in love. We're going to see ourselves as less than because we are. That's what growing up looks like. Our two-year-old, he's all about me. It was not. He's bringing us into something else. It's humility. It's sacrificial love. I don't have time today, but Romans 12 says, in light of the mercies of God shown to you, Romans, offer your bodies. You just thought that verse was for your good quiet time. It's about raising up martyrs at the end of the age. It's about raising up martyrs that are going to offer their lives as living sacrifices. The Corrie ten booms are going to come forth. sacrificial love. We're going to pour out. We're going to look like the suffering servant because this hour is coming guys. Anti-Semitism is growing in the nations and we're going to see a prophetic church. That's going to stand with God's heart for Israel, no matter how much it costs you, no matter how unpopular or unpolitical it is. We feel the pressure a little bit that's growing right now in our nation and we want to back away from what we believe in. Beloved, this is going to become the hot button topic. And if we don't get rooted and grounded in this, we're not going to be able to stand with God's purposes and it's not a little issue. And number three, we're going to grow in character and we're going to grow in revelation. Number three, fullness of unity. Father, that they would be one as you and I are one, that they would be one in us, that the world would believe. He's gonna break down walls between whites and blacks, Hispanics, Asians. He's gonna break down our walls. We're gonna get delivered from denominationalism. We're gonna get delivered from all of our little islands we stand on. The world would believe something's gonna happen. He's gonna do it between Jew and Arab. The most hostile, ancient hostility. We're going to see it. It's coming about right now in the Middle East. We're seeing it happen in the Egyptian church. Seeing it happen all over the earth. He's going to release John 17. There's coming a fullness of unity and it's power. Number four, the fullness of power. Greater works than these you will do. Talk about each one of these in messages. Number five, fullness of prayer. What I love, Revelation 5 verse 8, when the Lamb takes the scroll, it says they came forth and bowls were full. (laughs) That's the root word of fullness. What we're seeing take place right now in the earth. Guys, hear me. What we're seeing take place right now in the earth is Revelation 5, verse 8. Bowls are getting filled in heaven. Prayer, there will never be a least amount of prayer than right now. It's only increasing. Churches are shifting. The priority on him and connection to him is growing. And what's this gonna result in? All Israel will be saved. There will be a specific storyline that will bring about this. This is what we'll take the next 10 and 20 years laying out. It's a very climactic moment that's going to lead to what we celebrate today as we say baruch haba beshem adonai because we not only look back on it but we look forward to it. When they stated Zechariah 9 coming, riding lowly, sitting on, a, on, the, on the foal of a, a donkey, they were quoting one part of Zechariah 9, but there's a whole other part of Zechariah 9. And that's second coming Jesus. And I'm here to tell you right now that Israel will declare that Baruch, Habab, Bashem, Adonai. They will declare it when the Antichrist armies has them backed into a corner. Jesus will make his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and they will declare Psalm 24, open up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. He's coming. The stone which the builders rejected will become the chief cornerstone. All Israel will be saved. I want to take the last 15 minutes. I want you to turn to Isaiah 62. I feel like this is what's burning in my heart this week. I believe that God wants to put Isaiah 62 and he wants to stamp it on this house. He wants to take Isaiah 62 and stamp it. Come on, Wayland women. We need prophetic midwives to birth us into the next season. I've been saying it for a while. I believe that we're moving into a day of revival praying. And revival praying doesn't have a lot of words to it. Revival praying is ugly praying. It's mascara running down the face praying. It's travails and grippings of the Spirit of God within you. That's what we were touching was that travail of the Spirit. I've been saying it. I believe tears are coming to the church. I believe tongues are coming to the church. And I believe that travail is coming to the church. That's how he builds his church. (laughs) One of the primary ways that God is going to use the church across the earth is by rallying and mobilizing intercessors who will enter into Jesus' heart and zeal in seeing Jerusalem become a praise in the earth. Can we look at God's heart for Israel? Can you put Isaiah 62, verse one up here? Come on, labor with me, come on. For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. This is God speaking. I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. Can I read it again for you? For Zion's sake, God says, I won't be quiet. For Jerusalem's sake, I'm not sleeping. Until her righteousness and her righteousness is found in her receiving Jesus' righteousness. The whole nation, the whole nation will be born again. They will put their faith in Yeshua and they will receive his righteousness. The first born again nation. Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness, her salvation as a lamp that burns. Let's keep going. Let's just, because I wasn't. Let's just have fun. Gentiles shall see your righteousness. All kings, your glory. You shall be called by a new name. Next verse. Crown of glory. Royal diadem. Next verse. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land anymore be called desolate. But you're getting a new name. Hephzibah. Hephzibah. And your land, Beulah, for the Lord delights in you. And your land shall be married. Get that? Land's going to get married. But see, this is the glorious thing, is that you and I are now partaking of that reality. I'm Hephzibah. I'm Beulah. I'm living in that reality now. And I believe it's connected. When God begins to drop Isaiah 62 and the burden of the Lord, it touches land. I believe it's connected with upper room and land. What we're feeling with land is when you begin to get connected to God's heart with Israel, it's about land. Psalm 2 is about the great end time battle over land. Your land's gonna get married. Heaven and earth are gonna become one on that plot of land. Now, here we go. Next verse. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you, which means Jews from all over the earth are gonna return. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. That word rejoicing is literally the wild dancing. As he rejoices over his bride, look at what I've done! Look at what I've done! The bridegroom is going to rejoice over Israel, but hear me right now. That's what he's doing over you right now. The bridegroom king is rejoicing over you. Your name isn't forsaken. Your name isn't desolate. Your name isn't rejected. Your name isn't pervert. Your name isn't prostitute. Your name isn't backslidden. You are Hephzibah. You are the delight of the Lord. Do you have any clue who you are? That's why Romans, we are connected through the mercy show you. They're now going to obtain mercy. So friends, come out of pity room. Come out of rejected room. Come out of pornography room. Come out of all the other rooms. And come into Hephzibah, so you can call her forth into Hephzibah. Your God's going to rejoices over you. He rejoices over me. He likes you. He likes me. Everybody say he likes you. Now let's just take the S off. Say he like me. I just get a little giggly when I say it that way. (laughs) He liked me. (laughs) All right, now we're about to drop one of the greatest Bible verses on you, and this is what God's putting on Upper Room. This is what happened a month ago. Isaiah 62, verse six. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent. I love this. God says, I'm not going to rest, but guess what? I got friends who will, next verse, give me no rest. Till I do what I said I'm going to do. Till he establishes and until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Psalm 48, it says that the kings will go around the, the walls of the new Jerusalem And they will be struck with terror as they gaze upon the glory of God in the land. See, this is what's happening. Isaiah 62 is happening. I believe God is releasing the spirit of intercession upon this house. He's releasing the spirit of intercession upon this house. When God lays the mandate He's putting within you a contention, saying, I won't rest till God rests. I love intercession because it's not... See, what we're ha- God's removing the dirtiness. He's, he's changing the paradigm of intercession. I'm grateful. It was some older women intercessors who taught me how to pray. But I'm here to tell you right now, it's not just some handful of women in a back room anymore. I want to say thank you, ladies. You've been contending for our blindness to get broken. It's not a backroom ministry with a few. It's a front room ministry with all. A lot of people don't understand. Intercession feels weird. I don't know how to do it. It's a little weird. I like the worship. Intercession kind of scares me. They're a little eccentric. They're a little weird. I want you to know I'm not talking about all the trappings around it. Yeah, there's strange birds everywhere. That's the glory of community. I'm not going to define a holy reality by the way a handful of people do it. He's going to take simple folk like us and fulfill Isaiah 62 in us. God says, I won't rest, and I'm going to set watchmen on your walls. Jerusalem, I've got a gift for you. I'm going to raise up a hundred million intercessors across the earth who won't rest until I'm a praise in your midst. Jesus, it's coming. We dedicate the first prayer meeting tomorrow morning at 6 a.m to Israel. We said, we're going to give the first fruits of our week to Israel. All of us are droggy and very half there. And God takes weak words of saying this, God, do what you said you're gonna do. Why does God need you to tell him what he said he's gonna do? God says, I won't rest. Well, then you're gonna do it. But then I'm gonna set watchmen who won't keep silent. Why does he work his government this way? Why does he need you and me to tell him things he told us to tell him? It's profoundly weak. It's profoundly pathetic. But it's profoundly glorious. And it's profoundly noble. That I get to tell God and I get a part to play. It's two loaves, but it's a part. And he magnifies those weakness and he uses it for his power. I'm preaching to you today because I sat in 10 years of boring prayer meetings for Israel and didn't understand most of what I was praying for. All right, it says it. Lord, touch Israel. (laughs) Thinking of that Middle East country, get them, Lord, touch them. I don't really get it. Touch them. I did touch them with barely this. For 10 years and not understanding much. And something's happening in this season. There's clarity. You wake up one day, you just start talking. All of a sudden, tears start flowing. Travail starts happening and clarity comes out of your mouth. And you go, how'd that happen? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Which means this, we love the, the explosive moments, but it's the glory of weakness. It's the glory of the mundane showing up, saying the same words, saying, God, I want to know. Help me get there, God. 10 years, 20 years. I want to know, God, help me. I know this is in there. It matters to you. I want to connect. Well, that's what we can give him is our hunger to connect to something we don't connect to. It's not about trying. I love all the other things, but I want, I want to connect to the heart of God. These last few moments, I've shared this story. It's, I believe this is why it's a personal story for us because a month ago, in this last couple of weeks, we have uh, kind of celebrated, commemorated, remembering the eighth anniversary. We have three beautiful daughters. I got my middle one here, got our youngest there and our oldest one will probably come tonight. And we have three beautiful daughters. And in 2012, the Lord gave us a son. We named him Josiah Nash. We named him after an intercessor with Charles Finney during the second great awakening, Daniel Nash, who was a hidden intercessor. Nobody ever saw him, but he would always be in some adjoining house or basement and he would labor two to three weeks before Finney would come to town. Guys, upstate New York in the 1800s, they saw 500,000 new converts come to the Lord in a matter of eight weeks. Finney goes, I didn't need his messages or his theology. I needed his praying. And he would always walk in on the very last night, his face completely drained of color, and he would look at Finney, and this is all he would say, the Lord has come. And Finney goes, I never knew a time he was wrong. I, me and Dana got so wrecked by this man's life, we said, you know what, give us a son, Lord. We're gonna name him Nash. And he came to us in June, 2012. And on March 16th, 2013, my wife going to see family in Arkansas. I'm in London. She takes the family down there, lays him down for a nap, and he doesn't wake up. Last eight years have been bone crushing, earth shattering, the son of promise. It's the season that is by the grace of God that we are here. It's strictly by him. And, and, uh, we, we caught with the fact that he passed on 316 has always had significance harvest. God, at my whole point was God, you got to make sense. You got to help me here. And so the Lord gave me lifelines over the last eight years, chapters in the Bible that have helped me keep my head above water and keep us moving. But in, I was really locked in on Psalm two in 2015 and Because Psalm 2 is really all about the devil's rage over Jesus' inheritance, Zion. And what is Jesus doing when the devil's raging? He's making eye contact with Abba. And he's declaring to Abba what Abba had promised to him. Ask of me, I'll give nations. So that was my prayer assignment for about two years. Make eye contact with Abba. I'm your boy. I want my inheritance. My inheritance is my marriage. My inheritance are my children. My inheritance are my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. God, I want this moment to count. I want little Bobby Russell in 2080 or 2180 to walk in realities because we made decisions right now. I knew it was a generational moment. I knew it was a legacy moment. And, uh, I was crying out, what's my inheritance? What's my inheritance? And a friend of mine sent a dream in that season to me. And he said, Corey, I found, I had a dream about you and that the church was under siege. And we knew that the seasons were changing and that everybody was showing up to the city square and we were understanding that the days had changed and that we were entering into a season of war. And everybody was getting ready for war and I walk into the dream come in smiling and I go these are the days we've been waiting on and in the dream the friend began to prophesy over me and he said Corey for every one voice of awakening I'm going to raise up seven voices of intercession for every one voice of awakening I'm going to raise up seven voices of intercession and then he looked at me, and I think that's why it was profound that Lou was here. He looked at me, and, the, and he said, Corey, I've given Lou Engle the Nazarites. He says, but I'm about to raise up Nazarites. And this Nazarite army will be an army of hidden intercessors. They won't be known in the eyes of men. They won't be on stages, but they're going to be famous in heaven. And I'm going to raise them up all over the earth for the global outpouring of the Spirit, the return of my Son, and the salvation of Israel. And when that, my friend gave me that dream, I looked at the Lord and I go, that's my inheritance. Give me 100 million Nazarites." And honestly, for the last five, six years, I've just preached it a lot, but not had any sense. Not had full ownership. I said it, it's a weird word. It's not a biblical word. How do I get this? It means a lot to me. How are you going to do this, God? Honestly, it's been a real painful area. But me and my, my wife, at this eighth anniversary and what happened a month ago, we crossed over New Beginnings. Hey, come on, prophetic people. And the Lord's beginning to make it clear to me that the Nash, he goes, Corey, the writes the 100 million, it's Isaiah 62, six and seven. And I am anointing you. There's going to be many, many houses. There's going to be many movements, many houses. But I am going to raise up 100 million intercessors across the earth. 100 million intercessors. I'm calling them natural rights, it's a personal story connected to a biblical reality. And I am invested, we're invested. All of my life is shifting into clarity in this season. I'm like creating shirts that says Nasherite about it. I'm writing books, I'm doing albums. I'm like, how can we begin to shift hundreds and thousands and millions of dollars into funds that begin to set a Nasherite army? How can we see rooms like this explode as God changes the understanding and expression of Christianity? Across the earth in one generation. And I believe with all my heart that that what happened a month ago, God's planting Isaiah 62 on this house. He's setting watchmen. And this is what I love about set watchmen it's simple folk like us that don't even hardly know what we're praying. I believe that he wants to, to meet us today. We're in the season. We had the explosion a month ago, but I am asking these seeds and what I found is sitting in a bunch of boring prayer meetings actually germinates the seed. Saying Romans 10:1, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. A thousand times without feeling anything is what germinates the seed. We love moments, but it's mostly mundane. I want to pray for you this morning that God would meet us with that spirit of intercession. Tears are coming to you, friend. I'm finishing a book on this right now, it'd be out in a few weeks. Gift of Tears. You know, Jeremiah 9 says, Oh, that my head were a fountain of tears for the slain of the daughter of my people. He's going to bring forth tears. He's going to bring forth tongues and he's going to bring forth travail. Amen. Let's stand. I just want to say it. I just want to say it. I know we got to get our kids and stuff. so I just want to. Michael did it earlier. I want to just do it. I'm just so honored to run this race with my wife. Dana, I love you. And I'm just so honored to run this with you. He's doing something profound. All right, open up your hand. I love it. God says, I will. I will set watchmen, which means it's not about just soulless energy and we're going to do this and do that God says I will I will set watchmen he's going to set you in revelation he's going to set watchmen on the walls they shall never hold their peace day or night. you who make mention of the Lord do not keep silent give him no rest till he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. God, I ask you right now that you would visit Upper Room with the spirit of intercession for Israel. Oh, we want to know your heart. I want to know your heart. Zechariah 1 says, I'm zealous for Zion and I'm jealous for Jerusalem. God, I wanna be zealous for what you're zealous about. I wanna tell you, big churches don't move the devil. Big conferences, they're not, they're not that big. You know what puts powers and principalities on notice? A church that gets delivered from itself and enters in to God's heart. That's what puts principalities and powers on notice. Here we are, Jesus. God, I pray that you would release the spirit of intercession. Release the spirit of intercession. Let's just wait a couple moments. Release the spirit of intercession. Give us tears, Jesus. Tenderize our hearts, I pray. Tenderize our hearts, Jesus, I pray. Elevo Shoto, your rabbi Come on.